Uh, Lord Jesus, for all those who have leveraged their position and power and authority and status and ecclesial ministry within the church, though who have blackened the eye of the body of Christ, Lord Jesus, we ask that justice may be done, that those who are victimizers and predators and deviants and dishonest, that they might be brought into the light, first of your divine justice and second of human justice, that the victims might hear and no longer be afraid at the names of these men being indicted, being um, judged by God himself, that we might not draw back into fear, but Lord Jesus, you might give us a spirit of boldness as laity, that we might again, for the millionth time, respond to the call that you have given us to be your church and not to abdicate our role or responsibility, that we might become men and women filled with the gospel, filled with just the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ. And that through our love, the clergy might be restored to what they should be. And that we laity can be restored to what we should be. Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. In your name we pray. A couple men at work. Uh, I was joking. I was being jocular with one of the men. And the other one comes in just looking like a freight train ran over him. And we're like, what? What's wrong? And he's like, I just have been reading the grand jury statement. And I was like, oh. And he's like, dude, it is it is so much worse than what you're thinking. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, man. It is awful. I'm like, why? What? What's going on? What's happening? And he just talks about how, you know, most of them, like uh, JD that we had on last week, was it last week? Yeah. No. No, it was two weeks ago. ago. He made a very – oh, right. Yeah, he made a very good point where he said, um, you know, most of these, overwhelmingly so, are before 2002 when the new Dallas Charter was adopted. And uh, and it's true, the grand jury report. The, one of the reasons why they did the report was because the statute of limitations had run out, and so none of these people could be tried in a Pennsylvania court. However – they wanted their names out there. They wanted the abuses, abuse victims' stories to be out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is very interesting to walk through, especially you, you had sent it to me. And I had um, – you had sent to me via text message the 1,300-page document and asked me to at least have the, the intro and conclusion read. I, I finished the intro – and I realized that with the several articles that I had read, I had heard much cool. of what was written in there. And, um, yeah, it is. the So when he told us that in the office, we were like, oh. And then as he shared some of the stories, what did not – I did not feel pity for the church that I am employed by and that I've committed my entire life to. I felt rage and anger at – that I have never felt, never, ever, ever felt in my past towards the church. Yeah. Just, just overwhelming rage. And my first thought was, because he had said how there were four priests 
at one parish and all of them were abusers and they all did stuff sometimes even together. And when I heard that, my first thought was acts of violence. Like, give me their name, give me their address. If any of the four are still alive, not for long. Like that's this stupid, visceral, overwhelming, emotional rage that I have. And it is so hard to deal with clergy members who are like, who I feel like are being too gentle with the situation. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, sorry. Yeah, that's Go no, on. I'm done. I'm done. Um, so we're going to talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about the report. Um, I want to talk about, I mean, w- w- this isn't going to be an analysis an analysis of the report, but I think it's going to have a little bit of that there. Uh, if you have, if you don't know what we're talking about, um, where have you been? Um, shame on you. <laughs> I'll be real blunt. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Uh, just go on to Google, type in, um, Pennsylvania grand jury report and you'll find it very quickly. Um, I want to get this out of the way. Um, what I'm about to talk about does not reflect, nor do I speak for my employer who many people know, uh, is a diocese. I'm not going to say which one. But um, this is just not, my. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is just the thoughts of. Um, these are just like our thoughts. My pro- my hope is that this is more just me and me and uh, me and you, Gomer, talking about this, um, and we're just going to share that um, that um, conversation with with everyone else. I'm going to do my best to not get on my rage cycle and just like spit out yeah. angry things. Um, Oh fuck! Um, this has been the worst day, one of the worst days of my life. I'll be really honest. Um, so, the thing that sucks about this is this is like, um, and I, I think it's kind of interesting that like for you, it's been more like it doesn't affect your parish as much, um, and and and. And I understand what you mean by that. Um, this bothers me greatly because I work for a diocese. Um, in the report, you could see sort of like memos from the past half a century. And like one of the templates of the memos, not the content, but just the template I've seen a thousand times. It's one of the same templates that like we use. Um, little things like that, the language of a lot of these letters is the language I'm engulfed with on almost a daily basis. Um, this has been incredibly difficult for me. I know it's been incredibly difficult for a lot of other people who work at dioceses. I've spoken a bit to a few of my coworkers or my counterparts across the country, and people are very hurt and very upset. So, if we can, let's just go into. I just need to get myself out of this, out of the, out of the emotional part right now. Um, let's talk a little bit about like what was really in. And I, I want to keep. I want to be blunt. I don't want to cover this up with soft terms. So if you, um, if there are kids who are listening, uh, turn this off. Please don't listen to this around them. Uh, if you can't handle blunt. Um, Blunt and like vulgar descriptions. Um, this might not be the episode for you. I apologize um, if you're angry about that, but I, I, I think we need to be honest about this. This needs to be spoken of 
openly not and not this is our Schindler's List episode for lack of a better term. This is one that you should probably only listen to once. I only want to have this conversation once, but I think I just I think it needs to happen. Are are you okay with that? Yeah. 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 I mean Yeah. <laughs> you remember like I, I mean, here's you, here's sorry, I I think ahead. no no no, you're I hate that we have to talk about this. But I don't think and I don't want people to be like, "Well, sorry, not going to listen." We are just going to discuss as neither of us are experts, but mm-hmm. I think we all, yeah. If this is a decent podcast, you, I, we, we need. It is like the Schindler's List thing. We have to hear this out so that we can experience how awful it is, and not just say never again. But I will never again let this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, that is a good point. Um, the, the the report starts off. I, I have never really read a grand jury report, so I don't know what these are supposed to read like or how this goes. I mean, I, I could have in the past for some of my history projects. I just don't remember. Um, it starts off with, and it says, "We the members of the grand, we the members of the grand jury need uh, um, we like need you." to hear this. And I think that's why I wanted to take that honest approach. Cause it's like, we need to hear this. Um, if you have not, I think this is a thing that goes beyond. This is not just like a New York times article. It's like, Oh, it like happened again in this random place that, that I've never been to. We have to wrestle with this. Um, yeah. You ready? Yeah. Okay. The grand jury testimony on behalf of several attorneys general for the state of Pennsylvania released a 1,300-page-plus um, document that involves uh, all but two of the dioceses in Pennsylvania, where one out of four people in Pennsylvania are Roman Catholic. Now, within these dioceses, the reason why two were exempted, Allenstown and—no, not Allenstown. Um, uh, Philadelphia. It was Philly. And- yeah. The Archdiocese of Philadelphia and then another one that no one knows. Um They were exempted because they already had grand jury reports come out. One had 50 uh, priest predators. The other one had 60 or something like that. Well, this one, in this sweeping statement, the largest such um, study done in in any state comprising all but two dioceses, realized there are 300 priest abusers, that the victims are around 1,000 children, and they suspect there are more abusers that have gone um, uncaught and more probably 3,000 victims that are not identified or named. The purpose of the report was to acknowledge because of the grand jury or because of the statute of limitations had run out, had well past expired in most of these claims. These men will never see the inside of a jail cell because of these specific things. But it also wants to demonstrate the patterns of cover-ups that occurred at a diocesan level um, from men who openly confessed their sin to the the bishop or to the vicar of clergy, and it was immediately covered up, and sympathy and empathy was expressed to the priest and none to the victim. Men were shuffled around. All sorts of different things had occurred, and um, the grand jury testimony not only details particular cases and says the victims names and the priest names all the priest names 
um, that are herein accused. The kind of conclusion was they went to call for action specifically addressing the statute of limitations. Even if they open it up, the window of when these crimes expire, um, just so that they can prosecute all these people for the because of the church stuff. That it's that bad, that systematic, that chronic a condition that a secular state government is asking to widen, if if not temp- just temporarily, the statute of limitations so that they can go after these people. I think they said something. They had like they had about half a million pages of documentation that was that was provided to them by the uh, four dioceses. Yeah, and so one of the things that they talked about was these patterns of abuse and then cover-up um, was something that's now completely prohibited under pain of sin, as J.D. Flynn said, um, for since the Dallas Charter, which is essentially you are not allowed to sign a non-disclosure agreement about sexual abuse crimes, right? So when you have that in the past... Someone would come forward saying, father raped me. Father would say, yes, I did. They would pick a fee. The church would pay it. And the victim would sign a nondisclosure agreement. And father would be removed. You know, he'd be on, quote, unquote, sick leave. And then put in another parish as an associate somewhere um, over and over and over again. And at one point, it even mentions how all of these, the records of abusing priests, accusations and documentation were kept in a vault that was locked and the bishop only had the key in the code of canon law and the interesting thing about it is the code of canon law i'm sure it's in there to safeguard those things because you can imagine if it was publicly available people priests would walk in and steal it and all this stuff and not my file but the way it's presented in the grand jury and the leverage that it has been used um probably in the church since the 1940s was this is how the bishop's hid this stuff and the problem was the current bishop of washington was the former bishop of pittsburgh uh is he a cardinal cardinal Worrell? yeah cardinal yeah he's cardinal, cardinal. Like word w-e-u-r i think i think or w-e-u-r-l w-u-e-r-l cardinal world and he's world cardinal world has written a lot of like really great documents about evangelization and discipleship and stuff mm-hmm. but the problem is so now he's being put on the hot seat because they were like you were bishop in pittsburgh when this stuff was happening and he's trying to say all this stuff predated me not everything accurately you know predated him but there are there are a lot they are trying to hold his feet to the fire and i watched an interview with him where he's like you can't Yes, a woman directly said, are you going to resign over all this, uh, especially what happened in Pittsburgh? And he's like, you can't. You, this was so many years ago. You can't you can't yeah. do that. And so are, oh, sorry. yeah, no, I was just going to say, but some of that stuff that that locked cabinet and priest names were still active pre 2002. Mm-hmm. There's um, a lot of this. Like, I, I think it's important to keep in mind that a lot of this it does. This is why I'm angry. This is why I'm really mad, and I should warn anyone. I'm actually on I'm on steroids right now, so that's probably I'm making me hyper emotional as well. So is that because you want to get swole? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one pill. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a good there's a good inside joke for uh, our thousands of listeners. Um, <laughs> I uh, okay, so a lot of this, you know, obviously is going back to the 1950s. And onward to believe the oldest person the grand the grand the grand um jury inter, uh, 
interviewed was 83 years old, who was abused, yeah. who was abused when he when he was a kid. Uh, and I think they said the youngest was in their teens. Um, the stuff so the stuff that was covered up. I mean, you're talking rape. You're talking. This is not just oh, a priest touched me. This is a priest performed oral sex on me, or he forced me to, to perform it on him. Um, I was raped anally by them, or there was one case where you had like a teenage girl who who was raped and forced to have an abortion. Priest ejaculating onto into kids, like just you know, in all different parts of their bodies, like hor- like just horrible things. And um, much has been said about the priest in general, or, or priest who d- d- do this. Um, and there are so many good good priests out there that this is. I don't. I don't think there's really the need to to defend priests right now. I, at least I would hope. I, I think we're kind of past that point where people know that these are bad people who do these things, and they're not. Not all priests are this. I think we're past that point. Um, my anger and my frustration, what this document points out, is the tendency of the bishops to try to um, to to put the institution first, the institution of the of the Catholic Church, and and to to keep this quiet, all in the name of trying to avoid scandal. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And they they made a point to say scandal was the word that they used, not yes. us. Like the grand jury saying this, we didn't use this word. It was them. It was them over and over again to prevent scandal. To you know all this stuff. So they uh, so they changed words from things like he like he raped me or you know he made me perform or he like he touched me or you know he like um, he made me perform oral se- oral sex on him to inappropriate relationships or inappropriate behavior, which is so or inappropriate contact. Um, I'm sorry, but there is a difference between touch and rape. Yeah. There's a big, big difference. Now, boundary issues and inappropriate contact were two phrases used that, according to the grand jury report, directly described acts of rape. Not just touching, not fondling, not, you know, like, you know, that creepy line where it's like, come sit on my lap. Oh, you're like, I don't want to. Right. That not not the no blurred lines here. Right. This is directly acts of rape that the diocesan un, um, r- reports that were garnered through investigation. These were not pleasantly linked by the diocese or, or leaked by the diocese. The diocese's own language about men, adult men raping little boys and little girls was inappropriate contact and the priest had boundary issues. And th- um, these boundaries, so, so, oh, sorry, these boundaries, these in these investigations tended to be headed up by either priests or um, diocesan employees who were very unqualified to do these in, in investigations. Or, sorry, that might be the wrong word, unqualified, but it was more, it was basically an internal investigation within the church, not one, it, it, it was not. 
which I think it, it's it's good to do those things so you have an idea of like because you, if you have a bunch of cops doing this, they're gonna approach it from like this like legal stand standpoint. You do need that canonical side as well because there are there are like nuances and there are, and there are parts of that that are just not gonna be picked up or discussed in any in any of the like legal things. So I I, I I do understand why you'd want to do that, but for that to be the only thing and then to base your to base your like recommendations completely on that. So what, what you'd have was these priests would go, they'd be on like, they'd have a like temporary leave or say they were out like sick or something. And uh, which is what happened, which is what they showed in the film Spotlight, that they were able to track down who these priests were by seeing who was placed on sick leave or uh. had really short assignments at a, yeah. The film Spotlight in this, I will get to that. Um, we'll get to that. That's when I really just, that's when I like had a breakdown. Yeah. Today. Let me, let me use... <laughs> Let me use a couple things from the uh, the actual document that I think is important. Um, it says, uh, bef- pre-2002, before the bro- Boston story broke, and you find this on page 297, it seemed as if there was a script. Through the end of the 20th century, the diocese developed consistent strategies for hiding child sex abuse. While the patterns were fairly apparent to us from the documents, we also had experts review them, special agents assigned to the FBI's Critical Incident Response Group, Behavioral Analysis Unit 3, Crimes Against Children. Can you imagine having that job? That would be the most depressing thing on the face of the earth. The agents identified seven factors that arose repeatedly in the diocesan response to child abuse. Now, this is all over the place, but especially in Pennsylvania. Number one, the use of euphemisms. And we already talked about inappropriate contact, boundary issues. And then what Luke just said, the permanent removal of a priest was often coded as sick leave or leave. Um, Deficient or biased diocesan investigations. Investigations conducted by untrained clergy or teachers given authority to make credibility determinations about fellow clergy members. The use of untrained support personnel for victim services, right? So it was done repeatedly and deliberately to have deficient and biased diocesan investigations. Treatment provider bias. The use of church-run psychological facilities that uh, regularly relied upon self-reports of the offenders who typically downplayed or denied their criminal conduct. Failure to provide contrary information supplied by victims. So here are the people self-reporting. Additional information by the diocese is not given to these church-run psychological facilities. Reliance on clinical diagnoses rather than actual conduct. Misallocation of the burden of proof. Absent a definitive diagnosis, child abusers were often simply returned to ministry. A lack of public disclosure. They used the term retired or resigned. Right. And then that prevented parents who might otherwise look for signs of abuse, abuse, financial support, continuing to fund abusive priests, providing them with housing, transportation, benefits and stipends, leaving abusers with the resources to locate, groom and assault more children. Okay, think about this. You donating to your parish in Pittsburgh in the 1950s, 60s, 70s might have funded the very rectory where children were being abused. The child pornography was happening. Right. That's what they're talking about. Uh, transfer rather than removal, regular, systematic, and institutionalized practice. And that's what we're addressing. We're not saying that this happened once or twice. Regular, systematic, and institutionalized practice of reassigning a priest to a new location rather than removing him from ministry after complaints of child sexual abuse. Priests regularly return to ministry even after confessing to sexually abusing children. Only bishops and certain high-level diocesan administrators knew, and they held the information within secret or confidential archives of the diocese. Not surprisingly, priests reassigned to ministry often abused additional children. And then lastly, insufficient reports to law 
enforcement. When they were reported, they often provided stripped-down reports. These minimal reports lack sufficient specificity to relay the gravity of the crime, the scope of the conduct, or the relevant dates and locations, even when a, a confession and other corroborating piece of evidence were often withheld. Okay, so this is what they call a circle of secrecy. We didn't come up with that phrase on our own, neither did the FBI. We got it from Bishop Worrell of Pittsburgh, now Cardinal of Washington, D.C., and one of the documents we reviewed. These were his own words for the church's child sex abuse cover-up. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, that's one of the hardest parts. One of the hardest parts I have with this is the fact that they groomed these kids. Yeah. Like that they, I mean, there are, they are stories of priests showing children pornography. Priest showing children pornography. Yeah. Um, getting them drunk. Uh, one, I think I'm not even going to repeat. That's so horrible. I mean, it is blasphemous. What's this priest? It is, bl- I mean, truly blasphemous. See, this is the, um, this is the level of deviancy that would, um, that would happen. He said there were four priests who ran a child porn ring and what they would do is they get these kids, they would groom them and then they would take Polaroid pictures of them. And uh, naked or in their underwear or whatever, and they would pass them around. And then it ended up escalating from that into a ring of predatory priests who raped children, shared intelligence on potential victims, and manufactured child pornography in parishes and in rectories. They used whips, violence, and sadism in raping their victims. Um, one kid went, was invited to the rectory for some juice. He woke up the next day bleeding from his asshole. That is what these monsters did. This was reported to the diocese. This is reported to the diocese, right? All of these things. It's insane. Now, and this is what, oh, sorry. Now, I was just going to Go. say the, the four priests that had this ring in this rectory, they were all arrested in 1998 on unrelated child sex abuse charges. Um, the response from a lot of the current um, bishops in these in these areas have been, yes, all the stuff happened. We are so so. I'm sorry. But like, look at all the good stuff that we've done to um, prevent this from ever happening again, and that's important. Yeah, but I, I I do. You you cannot you cannot like to confront evil. You need to acknowledge the good as well because if you don't, you lose hope and evil wins. So I think that's important. It's an important first step. But what they're not doing, what really bothers me, really, really bothers me, is it's the protection of the institution and to avoid scandal that happens all the all, – sorry, all the freaking time at that part. Ugh, yeah. Luke. Like um, I love my bishop. He's a good man. He's a good holy man. And I have, and he's been so supportive of the things that I've done. So I am not going to speak ill of him. But I have seen this in the culture of the church across the country. I've heard it from people across the country that we have talked to because of this um, podcast and other things that I've been in that I've been involved with. So again, I, I, I'm not trying to. Um, Archbishop here is a good, good man. This is not. But uh, this 
is a problem in the church. And if and if we just make this about, oh, these are just bad priests, there are good priests, let's not forget that. Shame on you because it is not about that. That is not what allowed this to happen. What allowed this to happen is the church being too obsessed with with its own self, trying to preserve its own status, not giving a crap about Christ and his church. I mean, to the point where they committed blasphemy and they covered up blasphemy to maintain their numbers so they didn't have to take a financial hit. Um, all in the name of avoiding scandal. Like, and look at what you did. Look at what you did because of that. That's what makes me, like, am I, am, is that off? I get a little heated about this if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were just going, man. <laughs> you interrupted yourself with a no, moment. Yeah. I, uh. I, like, that's the part that bothers me the most is that I have spent so much of my career preaching the gospel to kids in high schools and youth groups as a diocesan employee yeah. for a diocese. And to see the dice, like, that's what uh, I. Um, when I watched Spotlight, I finally decided to watch Spotlight because I was so angry about this. I was like, I need to watch this film. It's part, and it's it's a very um, good movie. Uh, it's a little bit paint by numbers, but that's fine. It's still a very um, a good film. And I started breaking down when they had the guy from uh, one of the characters who, like, he represented Snap and uh, all of the victims who went unheard of. And yeah. uh, he, he was written off as a... Uh, crazy guy and um uh what am i trying to say um so when he started to talk about what happened to him i started to just like sob again i'm on steroids so there's that that's what i finally like broke down today because it was just and i was telling aaron about this i'm like as someone who works for a diocese who tries to evangelize um Kids, you know, teens, like who, t- who tells them there's a there, that there's a God who loves them in a church who wants them to like know Him, and and like and experience and partake in the salvation offered by Jesus Christ and like the healing offered by Him, and to see that that what a diocese can do, the evil a diocese can do, it tore it tears me up inside. It literally kills me. Because the language that was used, the way that I've heard that so many times, you know, um, not the inappropriate contact, but more like the, the, the scandal, the fear. It's the, it's the fear. It's the fear that bothers me the most. I'm angry. I'm so angry. I've never felt this. I've never really experienced anything like this before where I'm just uh, I've never been ashamed to be Catholic or ashamed to say who I work for until this day. Yeah. I really never felt I felt embarrassment by people's reactions because I've just seen them being like, you know, just kind of like, oh, this is awkward. But I've never truly been embarrassed until now. I know I've talked to people who said they feel like they work for a child like sex ring. That after I'm reading this and because these these it's I think what's killer about this report is that it's showing that this is a systematic problem. And we yeah. knew that it was a problem, like the abuse and that, that it was like happened, that it, that it happened everywhere. But it's the cover up and it's the management. The, it's 
like gross. Oh, it's gross. Like mismanagement of these things that shows that we are so broken and this is bad. This is really, really bad. Um, this we're not gonna. This is going to destroy. This is gonna. This is gonna affect people like me, people who work for the church. This is gonna make them so disillusioned with the church uh, hierarchy and with the institutional side of the church that I think it's going to take a really long time and a lot of healing for this to get fixed. Or not to get fixed, but just to get better. Uh, So kind of clarify some of this stuff from um, Ed Condon, who writes for CNA, and um, it's also on National Catholic Register. Uh, The line that he said, okay, so... In total, 99 priests from Pittsburgh were named in the report. 32 priests. So Pittsburgh had one third of all the, I think it was, I think it was one third um, of all the cases. Uh, Let me just double check that. Um, But uh, of all the, of all the cases that occurred of abuse, um, the majority of them from one diocese, right? So from the biggest diocese, Pittsburgh. Uh, so he says, as I have made clear throughout my more than 30 years as a bishop, the sexual abuse of children by some members of the Catholic Church is a terrible tragedy, and the church can never express enough deep sorrow and contrition for the abuse and for the failure to respond promptly and completely, the cardinal said. In total, 99 priests from Pittsburgh were named in the report. Okay, so 99 priests. 32 were referenced by the grand jury report in relation to Cardinal Wuerl's time as bishop. Of these, 19 involved new cases or allegations which arose during his 18 years in charge of the diocese during the years 1988 to 2006. And 18 of the 19 priests were immediately removed from ministry. The other cases were addressed in Pittsburgh, principally concerned actions and allegations that arose during the reign of his predecessor, uh, Anthony Cardinal Bevilacqua. Okay, So that's one of the reasons why I think Cardinal Wuerl feels like he shouldn't have to resign because he, uh, you know, every single one of them, except for this one, which, you know, I don't know. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, he removed from ministry of all the new cases that he had to decide. And I, and I understand. Although that. There, there is a report that said that oh, a priest abuser left and then, uh, the report says that Whirl authorized him to move from Los Angeles to Reno, Las Vegas in 91. And then, uh, but it was an allegation from 1966. And sources familiar with the Pittsburgh case said Whirl was unaware of the 1966 allegations. So there you go. I guess it's. And, and like when all... Whirl was informed, like there was a, the same priest, there was an allegation that came up in 94 when Whirl was the bishop. He immediately informed the other diocese. So. That's, I mean, that's what you should do. <laughs> like, hey, here's yeah, an allegation. Yeah. No, I, we don't know if it's mm-hmm. true. Here, what I would do is, oh my God, call the cops. That's the first thing I would do. Oh my gosh, thank you, little girl. Thank you, little boy. Thank you, mom and dad, for being strong and coming in here. And I am so the counseling. You're all, all, all of the money you're ever going to need for, and then some for you know for all the counseling and healing and college and grad school. Yeah. Don't you think that? But here's what bothers me, is I f- we've done a very good job now of treating the effects. Yeah. Like, we are reporting priests. Like, the, that's, that's one thing that was made very clear. And I think that's good that, like, 
Now, if this happens, it's a totally different thing. But the problem that led to this happening, that f- um, wanting to protect the institution of the church as she has as she has existed in the past, and to not cause scandal, and I, I, I it's actually. So the idea of scandal and wanting to avoid that is one of the things that I love about the church because yeah. I think it is important. You know, I think it's in a very point like nuance that is like you know, like we work in we work in, um, in the margins. You know, we don't want anyone lost to hell. We want all to go to heaven to be with Christ to be saved. Hell is a real thing, and we don't want anyone there. So the margins doesn't really exist to ever to the church one person is the world so there's prudence in not wanting to cause scandal to lead people away from the church but when you let that when you act out of but that's that's a that's a proactive thing yeah. when you are more like reactive and you're trying to hide things to maintain your bureaucratic power or to like not lose influence or power that's 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 still there. Like the same reason that this stuff happened, like why this stuff happened, why these dioceses covered this up the way that they did, is the exact same reason why none of the bishops who knew anything about uh, like a like a black McCarrick said anything about it. Like it is over. Christendom is done. Burn it. Burn the thing to the flipping ground. Let it die. Stop trying to maintain your your. This is. Stop trying to maintain whatever what, like like relevancy you have, and actually believe in Jesus Christ for once in your life, and like do something. Don't act out of fear. Act out of love and goodness and truth. It's evil. What the, the I, I feel I, I I'm so terrified that when you rack it all up, perhaps the church has done more evil than good in the past hundred years. I know that's not true, but it feels like that. Yeah. If I could write a thesis and and if, and if like um, I could nail that bad boy to a door, I would. And, and not that I want to form my own church, but like you know what I'm getting at here. Like, yeah, Bishop Lawrence of Erie was the only bishop singled out for praise by the Pennsylvania Attorney General. Offered in a statement an apology to the victims of abuse, saying they suffered from unimaginably cruel behavior for which they bore no responsibility. Meaning, obviously, the victims. He praised abuse survivors for having the courage to come forward with their stories, while he also acknowledged that there are others who have not yet shared their experiences. I humbly offer my sincere apology to each victim who has been violated by anyone affiliated with the Catholic Church. I hope that you can accept it. I know that apologizing is only one step in a very long and complex process of healing. How am I supposed to? Oh, sorry. Let me just finish this last one. He instructed churches within his diocese to be open for a 12-hour period on September 15th, the Feast of Our Mother of Sorrows. He pledged to stand with victims of abuse and said that he was willing to meet with any survivor who wished to do so. That's what our bishop does a great job of that as, as well. The, this is what I wanted to say. Um, I believe that part of the problem, and you, you keep saying it too, the institutional church, one of the statements in the grand jury was that we, the church prioritized safeguarding the clergy over the children. And why would the church do that? The church does that, or people in the church do that. You got to kind of distinguish the two. The people in the church do that 
because the church for most people means the hierarchy, if not just the Pope, right? The bishops, the priests, it means the hierarchy, that they are the church and we participate or spectate or whatever when it comes to the church. We pray, pay, and obey, and that's all we do. And that is what Vatican II tried to overturn. That is specifically the incipient clericalism that ruined the church, that is constantly ruining the church. So when the church wanted to protect herself from scandal, it sought to shut the mouths of the victims who were lay people for the most part. There were seminaries who were also abused, but to shut the mouths of the lay people to protect the clergy. Because operating behind that, the real church is the clergy, not the laity. And what I'm telling the laity is that the clergy exists for your sake, not over you. For that is how the Gentiles with power reign over us, right? They use their authority to dominate others. Not so among you, but rather you, the greatest, is to become the least. The one who wishes to be on top, you got to serve. And so what ends up happening, though, is we adopt because we do not put to death the deeds of the flesh. I am, I am 100% under the assumption that many of the men, especially in Boston, joined the priesthood because it was a ready-made grooming agent. They already were pedophiles. They already were sexual deviants. They didn't become so because of loneliness, depression, abandonment, isolation, and overstress. They, that's not what led them down that path. Boston was unique in a lot of ways and completely normal with horrifically we're finding out in a lot of other ways, but these men joined the priesthood because it won for them by default, the admiration of the parents. And of course you can take Johnny, uh, you know, maybe he might become a priest one day like you. And then Johnny doesn't say anything because Johnny's embarrassed. Johnny's overwhelmed. The priest, you know, makes it, you know, theological or whatever while he's doing these horrific things. So it ends up happening. I think, uh, overwhelmingly, is we have to wake up and realize that though the church exists with the hierarchy, governed by the hierarchy, the hierarchy governs solely to serve the church, okay? We are also the church. We comprise the members of the body of Christ. Can the head say to the hand, the foot, you know, or the inner intestinal wall, which is clearly me and Luke, can, can he say, <laughs> I have no need of you. No, you cannot do that. And this is the thing that I'm discovering more and more. We constantly isolate our priests, but oftentimes, which is horrific, our priests find themselves insulated from the really hard work of what Pope Francis called accompaniment, what Pope John Paul II called spiritual communion what the Bible calls fellowship. When you don't have to invest in other human beings, when you say mass, give homilies, you have a pulpit that you preach from, you have eyes that are on you, and you never get deeply involved in the lives of parishioners. I get to hang out with a priest who is a, a longtime supporter of Catching Foxes. And you know what was great about that guy is he had community. He also wrote something really wonderful. He said, uh, when I wrote this piece on um, that I published on Catching Foxes Patreon page, uh, I think it's, I think I published it publicly, so anyone can go and see it. You go to patreon.com slash cf. Um, but the whole idea was we need to have radical Christian community, weekly community with our clergy. We cannot let them isolate themselves because if we let them isolate themselves, bad things happen when people are alone and cut off. The The crazy thing that's happening here is the, the thing that I want to remind clergy 
is that the laity have every bit of right to be called the church that a clergy does. We are not the givers of all the sacraments, but we can give baptism and we give ourselves matrimony, right? Like, or not, I mean, come on. This is the reality here in the church. We are marginalized as lay people. The problem is when the liberal side of the church wants to activate the laity, they make them be pseudo clergy. The laity are not pseudo clergy. If the pseudo, if the real clergy would act as clergy and serve the church, we wouldn't have nearly as many of these problems. We still have human failing. We still have issues that deeply, deeply reside in human in in people's psyches. And I don't know about you, Luke, but I want to hide my sin. And so if I hide my sin, I want people to think that I'm a good person, that I'm a better person than what I really am. And so the reality is you have priests who are doing this crap and you have bishops who are doing this crap and giving cover to this. But all the while there is a show, a movie running the whole time saying, look at good and holy father, such and such, right? I want to hide my sins just as much as anyone else wants to hide their sins. But the problem is no one institutionally is holding me up saying, look how amazing this guy is, and institutionally hiding all the sins, right? And that's a huge difference. That's when the sacred clergy completely denies the Augustinian notion. St. Augustine said, with you, I'm a Christian. For you, I'm a bishop. Let's return to that notion. With you, I'm a Christian. For you, I'm your bishop. With you, I'm a Christian. Mm. For you, I'm your pastor, your associate One pastor. One more time. Yeah, with you, I'm a Christian. For you, I'm your paro- parochial vicar, whatever that means. With you, I am your Christian. For you, I'm your catching foxes. Um, <laughs> there Which is, is just another way of saying with you. You know, we used to talk – we used to, like, do you remember in Steubenville when all this came down, there was such a – there was such a, like, movement to protect priests? Yes. Yes. I'm disgusted with that now. I get it. I understand it. But there's probably now it's just like, was that the – like, I remember we all kind of thought, oh, this is like the work of the devil. Not not really to bring this stuff to light, but it was like, oh, I, I guess what I'm kind of like um, – what I'm kind of like I'm wondering is all this stuff coming to like light, this report, um, the, the Boston Globe stuff – is that the work of the Holy Spirit? Is that the work of God purifying his church? Is that the, is that the work of, the, of our God we know who demands justice? Like, is that, is that God? Is God using that stuff to purify his church? Uh, let me start off by saying this. Uh, we are not sure that this should even have to be said, but we'll say it anyway. This investigation is not, on the, is not an attack on the Catholic faith. Many of us, the grand jurors, are practicing Catholics. Many of the people we heard from, victims and witnesses, are Catholics. If anything, we feel aligned with, not opposed to, the members of that faith. Child abuse, after all, is not just illegal. It is against the creeds of every major religion, including Catholicism. People of all faith and no faith want to protect their children to be safe. But we were presented with a conspicuous concentration of child sex abuse cases that have come from the church. Because our investigation produced information from so many dioceses over so many decades. We think it's important to report on some of the changes we've seen, or at least the potential for change. Uh, 
I still feel like the church wants to be acknowledged. Wants to there are still people who want to be acknowledged more for the change that the church has done in like in like light of all this, as opposed towards the justice that that um needs to happen. And I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, credit this to friend of the podcast Sergio, who talked about this on his on Twitter. That what he wants to see is justice, and not enough people are are. Uh, I'm talking about this. I, for one, demand it, and I think we all should, we should we should demand it f- from and for all of the priests and all of the bishops and cardinals who either did these things or or enabled it to happen. And too often these groups that want that, they also want like church, they also want church teaching to somehow like to, to change or things like that. I don't want any of that. Obviously, we love the church, we love her, we love her like teachings, but those teachings include justice. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, if this might not be God trying to trying to purify his church, but I do think that God wants to, to use it to do that. How could he not? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, they're pointing out, Father Fred Doyle commented on since the 2002 transition. Uh, so norm number six of the charter provided that bishops should remove priests from active ministry, quote, when there is sufficient evidence that sexual abuse of a minor has occurred. Of course, it was still up to the bishop to decide whether there was sufficient evidence. Um, Thomas Doyle, a Catholic priest, author, and canon law authority, who testified before numerous legal bodies about the church's history of child sex abuse complaints. He said that that it didn't overturn the secrecy provisions that canon law established and left it up to the bishop to determine what was credible. Um, And so one of the things, let me just pull it up real quick, um, that even when people were, priests were fully removed and laicized, that the circle of secrecy still existed. It says, uh, in many cases, bishops invoke the process only when the priest would voluntarily accept removal. And when laicization papers were filed, that's a difficult word, they were often far more detailed than the statements that were given out to the public. We know because we saw these laicization papers among the subpoena documents, but the public was never supposed to know. So you have these people being booted out and told he's becoming a lay member, but not why. Retired, quote-unquote, so known offenders were still secretly provided financial support. So think about this. Retired child abusers were permitted to live in church-run facilities located near schools. Yep. That's one of the parts of of um, Spotlight where this guy, he finds out where all of these priests are, and he realizes it's like two blocks from his house. Ugh. And it's just uh, Spotlight Man. That I'm so glad that I watched that film. It's not an attack on the church at all. There's a few things I wouldn't really agree with. Like I think their catechism is wrong. I'm like, that's not how the catechism. That's not like how it's termed. But it was, it was just it was like little itty bitty things where I'm like, that's not how that would go. But I see what you're doing. What what like what? Uh, it was like it's. I think they called the catechism the Catholic Church catechism, and I was like. It's a catechism of the Catholic Church, which is kind of a bit like it's all in the preposition. So I'm like, it's kind of a 
big blunder. Like, <laughs> um, anyways, um, or just like little. I'm trying to remember. There was there was like one other part where I was like, that's not how that would go. But but um, uh, they got so much of it right. So much of the of like just how the church responded to things and this desire just to cover it up in the name of scandal, thinking it would just go away or handle it in house. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, that just I don't know. I I just think that when you make trying to avoid scandal more important than justice, you destroy the body of Christ. That to me, that's like the clear. That's the clericalism of the 21st century, right there. In 1988, the year he arrived in Pittsburgh, Worrell removed Father Anthony Cipolla from ministry following accusations that the priest had molested a teenage boy. Following appeals by Cipolla, the Vatican ordered that the priest be returned to ministry, but Worrell categorically refused, flying to Rome and presenting evidence and arguments in person to the Supreme Tribunal at the Apostolic Signatura. I don't know how to say that word in Latin. Rome eventually reversed its position, upheld world's decision. Ugh. So um, I think we've kind of talked about how horrible it all is. Uh, where do we go from here? Because I read this really interesting thing last week that's so timely for right now that was by Pope Paul the Pope Paul the VI, who I'm beginning to adore and love. Sorry, I think he's a blessed now. So blessed Pope Paul the VI. Um, where and I know there's some rat traps who don't like that fact, but whatever. Um, he talks about this thing about the importance of trying to reform the trying to reform the church, but not at the expense where and I, I forgot to bring this book uh, book with me today because I. Um, didn't think I was gonna. I was going um, to use it because I had the day off, so I didn't bring it with me. But then it's all. Th- and I read everything and just got horribly upset. Um, so, anyways, I, this is gonna be kind of. So, it's a hugely paraphrase here, where he basically says, "But we cannot ignore the constitutes enacted by Christ. So, lest we gain the world, but like lose our soul. So, if we were to use all these modern things about like how like run things, or whatever, which we do try to like reform the church, but in but when we do that, when we negate her teachings or her base or basic principles started by Christ, you know? So I think a great, a great example of that would be why don't we have like women priest? Well, because it can't, you know, that's not ever going to happen because it can't happen. It is an impossibility. Those things like we can't make the absolute relative, you know, um, is what he's getting at. But I do think he says, yeah, the church can change, and perhaps we, like, need to do so. And I would like to talk about that. Um, I, had a, I had a tweet where I said, is it possible for the church to keep the substance of who she is, but, uh, but when it is necessary, change her accidents, change the things about her that can be changed? And I think we need to talk about, like, what are those things now? Which is this is just us. This is purely hypothetical. We're just you know. So this is probably wrong. But I just think it'd be good to at least kind of talk about those things at least a little bit. Uh, so we just cut a bunch of stuff, and we're gonna try to get at some like from a practical <laughs> standpoint. And I finished my cup of coffee. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take uh, another break? Or are you good? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Okay. So practical from, reform efforts. Yeah. How? Where does the church with all this horrible stuff that's you know? 
come out and come to light? Where does the church go from here? Because I think probably one of the biggest consequences of this, one of the one of the hardest things that's going to come out of this is going to be the disillusionment of people who work for the institutional church, specifically at all of the different dioceses. Yeah. So practically speaking, changes need need to happen, and so let's. So we would like to have a little bit of a brainstorming. This is just ideas. Yeah. Of like, how what can we change? And these ideas do not reflect the views of our employers. They are solely no. the opinions <laughs> of two jerks who have barely thought this stuff out and are reacting emotionally. <laughs> Here we go. Actually, I, I'm so emotionally drained now. And after our, our last talk, I feel like I got a lot of those emotions <laughs> out. So I'm good. And now we've gone completely beyond emotional, Luke. And now we're at sad yet practical, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> like So first um, thing that you would do, what's the first thing Luke would do? I would do my absolute best to find everyone at who worked at a curia a spiritual director. Very practical because the lack of a prayer life is killing and crippling the church. Mm-hmm. And I think this is going to, especially people of goodwill. You know, one of the parts that killed me the most about uh, spotlight was when one of the one of the reporters like is with her grandmother as she is reading their their stuff and her and she talked about earlier how her grandmother goes to mass three times a week and her grandmother starts starts to cry because she, and she goes I'm gonna need some water because this is her church that she yeah. grew up with and that's. Yeah, that's what kills me. That's who it, you know. And I think of the good people who work at these dioceses, who love the church, who want to serve the church, who just thought it'd be fun just to like you know, and see that you know their counterparts and like other dioceses have done some really horrible things, or their own dioceses have done some really horrible, horrible like you know. And that's there's some healing that really needs to. I mean, like so. So uh, let me just you your first initiative would be focus specifically on the spiritual life because most of these people uh, self-admitted i mean you read sherry waddell's book um forming essential disciples she is speaking to directors of ministries and dioceses and none of them have a prayer life Mm -hmm. right and which is just so horrific upon horrific so your first step would be get these people a prayer life i mean when you join a catholic church you sign a statement that you will live according to the Catholic values. I mean, you're allowed to do that in the Catholic Church. And I think that, uh, yeah, and this, like, um, I just felt, I think you could, throw, like, where there is, where there is a like, healing, there is Christ. And where Christ is, there is, there is, like, healing. And if there's one thing that that this report proved was there was a profound on the lack of Christ at yeah. these curious, you know, and this is one small way, one practical way, just to get that going. So yeah, I did a, a parish retreat. Um, I've done it now at three different parishes, including my own. And the statement was, if you aren't praying, quit your job. You know, if you aren't yeah. praying at all, you know, start praying today. But if in two weeks you find that you just don't want to pray, please quit your job because the church does not need another scandal. You need to have spiritual life. But I'll tell you, many parish employees feel abandoned by their pastors. Mm-hmm. I, I hear this all the time. I'm, I'm just the guy that does the job of X, Y, and Z because father can't, cause he's too busy. So and when you're not being, when you're not being shepherded, I mean, I think it, it's a good thing, right? That what you said about the, 
uh, spiritual directors. When you're not being shepherded and you're doing a job for the church, but you see all the somewhat ugly, annoying, whatever background stuff of the church, you, you lose heart. And people don't realize that. It's easy to lose heart. Mm-hmm. So what's one thing I, I'd be curious to know, like, what's like one thing you would do at the parish level? Uh, at the parish level to make, okay, so specifically to make sure that things like this wouldn't happen again. Is that what you're going for specifically or what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think just to like, so like clearly the institutional church is just broken right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this can be specific to child abuse stuff, but I think it's getting more like just the profound brokenness that is there. Yeah. Um, that both caused this and is a result of it and is a, a consequence of this. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, I'm just going to keep it like super practical and say the very first thing that needs to happen is any accusation by a minister of the church, whether they're a lay person or clergy or whatever, needs to be immediately given over to the police. Every statement, everything, just immediately. Like if someone comes to the priest and says, listen, my youth minister put me in a compromising situation and, you know, we were alone and I feel like he arranged it and he touched me or, you know, whatever. We made immediately, if, if it's anything that would be illegal, right, immediately gets handed over to the police. No one thinks differently. You like immediately do this. I was shocked when all the sex abuse stuff going on in college campuses was like, oh no, our policy is that the college campus where the offense happens takes care of it first. And you're like, what campus security? I used to egg campus security cars at Franciscan. Those people are idiots. Like they would, that's the worst thing I would ever hear, right? But mm-hmm. um, so I, I would say the the first thing is not is is immediately. It's a police matter. It's a criminal matter. It might become a civil matter, but it's a criminal matter. It needs to be handed over. And that's what I love. That's what my pastor said. He's like that needs to be the first thing that we talk about. Is if anything has happened, we will ha- we will go to the police with you and for you. Because mm-hmm. victims are terrified. Yeah. I think um, one thing that I would do is really just try to discourage people, like, actively within within the diocese from wanting to protect th- um, the dignity of the priesthood. And, what I, and again, I really think um, the harm from this is going to be more to the people who are already in it. It's too the grandmother at the table who read the spotlight article, like who we lost in the, like to those who have like watched that film, who we lost when that stuff happened was the guys like the Ruffalo re uh, re re reporter who said he always hoped that he would have gone back to church, but this just killed that. That's who we lost in that one. I think in this scandal, who we're going to lose is the old grandmother who always went yeah. Now we might not like lose her. I, th- I think her faith is still going to be strong, but her faith in the institutional church is going to be crushed. And the we don't need to protect the priest. We're fine with that. I re- I, I mean I could be wrong, but I think we need to do more. Uh, we need to really we need to have like a justice league or something where every diocese um, has people where we really um, we really need to seek justice in very practical ways or we're going to lose souls over this yeah i mean and i think that there are ways that currently exist and see that's the reason why you're not hearing about the sex abuse scandal of 2012 
right? These are cases in Pennsylvania that were almost all were before 2002. I think there are a lot of good reforms. There are some still much needed ones that need to go further. Um, I would yeah. say the next thing that needs to happen in terms of just like practical reform is we need to have an only lay advisory board or um, investigative board about McCarrick and all that other stuff and only lay and bishops can just bishops that had nothing to do with nothing uh, can be there as just freaking listeners and yeah. and not commentators. We- their their words are not allowed to be entered into any record because the problem is uh, the bishops that they've discovered is it's like the police going after the police. Right. You got to work with these guys. Yeah. You're not going to want to push the thing as far as it needs to be pushed. You want to know who I would want to see on part of these groups would be would like like lay church employees. I want, I want to say, I want to say like lay <laughs> so uh, many axes to grind. On I, that know, one. I know. Right. Um, lay like lay like prosecutors, lay, lay psychologists, lay uh, police officers, like lay Catholics who are qualified to talk about this stuff. So not just Johnny PQ or, you know, like Catching Fox's podcast guy who's got a big mouth and, and a microphone, but people who are qualified to be a part of these teams. I don't know. I think we're pretty qualified. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but... Um, so one thing that like I'm like wrestling with is can we canonically change the authority of the, a pastor or even or even like a like or even a like bishop and pass along some of that responsibility to a layperson to be employed by the church or the diocese? I mean, n- not I mean, c- n- the charge of governance was given to the bishops, right? So you're never gonna. That aspect of it ain't going to change. Now, you do have a lay board and a clergy board that that all have canonical status uh, within a diocese, but you don't have – you can't have a lay person deposing a bishop, or you don't have that. Yeah, I know because that's what like – and I I just feel like there needs to – but don't you think there needs to be something where lay people have more – have more authority within the because I, I guess what I'm being is how do we dispose of this culture of of, of the, the fear of scandal and protecting the institutional church? Do we do it by just because I, I don't want to do it by you know I don't want to de I don't want to devalue um, the collar or anything like that. Um, but I do want to, um, y- you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I do want to, you know, take some steps to make sure that the institutional church is not dependent upon these priests. Hmm. Or, mm. or, or, or are we already doing that? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways we are. I just, I mean, that's honestly, that's why you see the vitality of the movements. I mean, People are sick and tired of yoking themselves entirely to a priest. And so they go to, or a pair, they're just their local parish. You know what I mean? Yeah. So absolutely just encourage to have like more movements and stuff. Yeah. And more uh, DVDs. And that's the last, that is the absolute last thing. False. We need. False. Um, False. No. More DVDs. It's not true. More DVDs. (laughs) Uh, I prefer like Blu rays. Um, (laughs) 
know, and I, I think like one thing too, though, I think would really help is to encourage more um, diocesan offices to be to be to be to be like ministry oriented. Um, I think that's going to help lead to the death of maintenance mode because there, if there isn't any institution to protect, then there's no real point for clericalism. Like you know, if if, if the church doesn't have this like this like wealth and and, and you know we're seeing the end of her like of her of her status within the culture and she really has never been like that wealthy uh we have a lot less money than what people actually think um well we have because of the scandals we have literally paid out billions with a b in just america alone well yeah oh and i mean and you'd be amazed at like the bulk of things that people do the money comes in and then it goes out because it's things are happening yeah um uh, it just sucks because it pulls it like what a lot of like a lot of the fun. This is I don't want to go on this road too far, but like a lot of the, a lot of the funds that paid for this stuff was going towards other stuff. That stuff yeah. just died, especially school scholarships. Um, that hurt. That killed my old school out in California. Like that's why they end up having to go into international kids is because they lost like a whole bunch of families couldn't afford to go anymore because they lost the Dawson scholarships because that funds were used to pay out like victims and those victims deserve to be paid trust me <laughs> um, it's just that's where the money came from so um, other things um, what do you what think do you should be one of the common complaints I hear from priests is they are constantly made. They feel constantly abandoned. They feel abandoned by the charter. They feel abandoned by the bishops. They feel abandoned. Like they are always suspect. What would you do for the priest who is also a victim in this? Yeah. No. Because he didn't you know, he didn't do anything wrong. It's a great point. I think um, the answer is for the priest to really um, live his his like vocation. Um, that's really – that's like Oliver. It's like, like we need to really live – he needs to live his – a vocation as a priest, which means he shouldn't have to spend three hours every day in his car driving to say four or five, um, four or five different masses. He needs friends. He needs like the parish needs to be his family. We need to get to what we we need to kind of get back to the good stuff that the parish was before all this happened where the priest was not on the level of God, but a part of people's everyday life. He could go to families' houses to eat. He could hang out. He was at birthdays. He was, you know, at all of this, all of the stuff. You know, so many priests now don't go to, like, wedding, don't go to, like, wedding receptions because they are they're just exhausted and slash don't really have the time. I'd love to get to a point where a priest has the time and wants to be there because he's such a part of that community. <sighs> and, and, that's, and that's tough. That's super, super tough. Yeah. Uh, can I use my extreme example? Yeah. Uh, I think that any bishop found withholding uh, evidence of a priest molesting someone, sexual abuse stuff, they need to be excommunicated. Ooh. If you provide cover so that a priest can sexually abuse a member of Christ faithful or a potential member of Christ faithful, you need to be removed not just from office but from the body of Christ. And excommunications can always be lifted, but 
I think that um, I am not one of those people that says like, yeah, just excommunicate them all. But I think like, you know, if if providing for child rape isn't excommunicatable, what is, you know, like what's left if we do that and we go, you know, like, I don't know. No, that's actually a really good point. I think you might be on because I think we've kind of bought into this lie that the bishops didn't know what to do. Um, I and I just wonder if that is a lie that you know we, we I think we all kind of thought oh well they just uh, they just move these people around because they didn't realize how much of an addiction or how 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 ingrained pedophilia pedophilia sorry um, was. Didn't even all those priests. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, but then when you start to read these documents where they where there's that element of systematic, you know, I mean, when you have had 99 priests or 93, whatever it was, I think it was 99 priests in Pittsburgh alone in the scope of the document, you have to say to yourself, well, looks like this disposition isn't going away anytime soon. I'm going to not put them near children you know that that's where you get the people who only go and you know serve at a convent and that's it well you know that was kind of one of the things that was very interesting about the article was i believe i don't know if they said this directly but they hinted at it that child abuse is not a new thing it's been around it's been it's been it's been like illegal for a very long time <laughs> so to act like oh we didn't really know how bad this was is a, a, I I tend to believe that's more of a cop out. You know, or Yeah, they wanna... I mean because they all they, you hear from the kind of conservative defenders and mm-hmm. I've said it too that the bishops were told by psychologists these men are cured. But when you start going through these documents you realize eh, not that they really weren't. They sent them to church run facilities. And that's part of the problem mm-hmm. is they told them what they wanted to hear. Yeah. And I think so. I think like one thing as well is these like is, is these church run things. Now we've got a great one out here. They're really it's it's it is like a lay apostle, but we need more qualified counselors to deal with the fallout from the culture of death. Yeah. So like we need qualified counselors for priests who are addicted to porn and great things are happening with groups like integrity restored we need healing and that includes prayer but that includes counseling yeah every i would find a way and i'm sure if 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 i okay so if i were the diocese of pittsburgh i would try to have when they just they have like cut their amount of uh, you know Parishes down to I think it's like one fourth of what it once was, to have a qualified Catholic counselor on staff at every parish, mm. and I would yeah I think they kind of demand that most priests go to counseling now or like have or can like it, it should be pretty relatively easy I, can, I don't know why I don't think they demand but I I, I know you I, I want to say because you have to go to a counselor to get into the seminary right you have to be oh, yeah. evaluated oh yeah so um yeah. Why do you think I never made it to seminary? <laughs> Should you, would you encourage people? I hope that people who don't have the stomach for this to actually listen to it felt like, well, I feel like I got a sense of the document. 
not going to read it myself. Yeah, I think we. And I feel like you don't have to. Yeah, no, I think if you've heard this, or like if you've heard this, or if and if you have read what I would imagine places places like the Catholic News Agency, the the New York Times, other things, you've got a good idea of like what it was about. Yeah. So I mean, we actually did not really go into any, not very much of the horrific triggering stuff. We did not mention the horrific stuff. So. Uh, I mean, we alluded to it, but we didn't like when you read the New York Times article, they like hit like six or seven different, for instance, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, So I do think we made it a little bit safer for people who might not in any way, shape or form want to have that in their lives. Yeah. Agree. Agree. I I, I feel um, better. I'm glad that we were able to do this, which is kind of my hope. I was hoping to come out of this feeling like I wanted this to be a cathartic experience for the both of us because I'll be honest I've probably broken down about three or four times today about this because it's just and for me the hard part is just that like especially as they talk about the diocese is that's just my like that is my world so it's like just seeing your world just yeah crumble and that's it's it's devastating I if you're a priest if you are like a bishop who who is listening one wow Thank you. Um, to, <laughs> if you're a bishop who's listening, uh, patreon.com slash CF. Yeah, seriously. Um, no, but the good people on your staff, they need you right now because they are broken. Yep. They are yep. broken. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say I've had people tell me they feel like they work. They, they, today they feel like they found out they work for a child of a sex ring. And that sucks. Like this is all people think about now when they think about mm-hmm. Catholic church. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people – who are in love with our Lord and in love with his church, realize that. We need to. There's this constant need to defend the church. Yeah. And the church is always going to be there. What we should not take for granted is her um, her, her relevancy or what that, like, Ashek looks like. And so that's where the attention needs to be as opposed to, like, but the, like let, let's, let's um, not forget that the church is good. It's like that's... Like, okay, yes, that's important. Let's, we need to, but like, I feel like that's done. When that's done, like, that is good, but you have to, like, you have to acknowledge the evil as well. You yeah. have to repent. If you just acknowledge the good and you do not repent, and repent is not just saying that you're almost sorry, it's taking actions. That's what to, like, really change. That's what true repentance is. If the church does not repent because of this, um, I'm done. I'll be really yeah. blunt. You need it, to get like we need to go like medieval here. Sackcloth and ash publicly in the winter time. Repentance, public penance. Yeah, I mean the Pope I, made Henry Henry the second do it or the seventh, whichever. It was a Henry. You know, it's time we do the uh, famous public penances. You know, and I, I do like bishops are having like monthly masses said for victims and. And that we're respecting this and addressing this. You know, one of the things that we had to discern in our own church was like, how often are we going to hold this up to our community? And uh, the question was, as long as we need to, you know, in terms of like prayers of the faithful, letters from our pastor. The, our pastor's letter has gone out and it's gotten a ton of positive feedback from all different levels of the church. Um, the Cardinal read it, all this stuff. So um, and my Cardinal is the head of the USCCB. So you have that, and uh, 
a lot of people on both the left and the right, people who kind of consider themselves more progressive Catholics were like, this struck the right tone. And then some conservative Catholics were like, oh man, this was great. This really struck the right tone. So, oh gosh, I don't know where we're going when we're going forward. But uh, all I know is this, I am the good priest that I know in my life. I'm going to invite them over to my house for dinner. I'm having one come over tomorrow. Oh, nice. And uh, other priests that I am nervous about, I uh, am going ing- to I'm going to be more vocal to them in both my support of the good and my issues. You know, you have certain priests that don't know how to have a conversation with people without yelling. You know, stuff like that, like huge behavior problems. I'm going to start putting people on notice. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That that is a thing that I, I uh, did want to bring up and forgot to when we when we got practical pushback. Yeah, you deserve a better church, everyone. Yeah, you de- we deserve a better church. I, and, I, and I'm sorry for someone who works for a diocese uh, from the depths of my heart. I am sorry that this happened. And you deserve better bishops. You deserve a better church. You deserve better diocesan employee in and i'm speaking about everyone across the entire country okay so uh you you deserve better demand better in the words of propaganda don't pedestal these people (laughs) yeah no exactly you know and we get so mad at, at like the culture for like destroying the church and i'm like no we did this to ourselves you know like Think of all, like, think of the uh, destruction that has come about because of this, like, the ruined lives. Yeah. The spotlight hit that a little bit too on the nose at times, but, like, they're right, though. When you look at, like, I was just reading an article earlier about, you know, one one of the victims from this report, he killed himself in 2010. Yeah. And it's just these, there are people who will never have normal lives because of the church that was supposed to make them profoundly who they were. Did the exact like they did the exact opposite and ruined. Yeah, them. and one of the dioceses said their molestation they'll get over it. Um, <sighs> it's not something that'll cause permanent damage. You remember that you. statement? You remember yeah. that one? <laughs> I just like I, I just, I just man, I'm so sick. I'm sick to my. I, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. You know. I just like. I know it sounds weird, but I I just like keep thinking about that like one like memo that I saw, and I'm just like I see memos like that all the time. Yeah. In that in that template, that's what the church used. Like it just, I know it's a stupid example, but it just is like. Oh, it makes me so. I just like I've spent. So, I mean, and we all have spent so much work trying to tell people about like the goodness of the church. And how good she is and how much, like, she wants to bring you closer to Christ. And just, to, like, that priest gave children pornography. Yeah. I just um, have, have you ever heard the story that, like, if they were to take people's taxes out at one time, we would have, like, a revolution. Because they'd be so angry for how much they'd have to pay at, like, one time. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's what this is. That so much of this abuse stuff was just like Ooh. a little bit here and there, and yeah. that this is just all of it. Like the, that's why I think the graphic details are so important. It's like, no, you need to see this. You need to feel this. You need to know what it's like to just not know, but like I mean, just like you need to know that it's not just 
oh, I touched them. Well, you know, it is, I performed this on them. I had them do this to me. I did this to his mouth. I did this to his anus. I, you know, like. Yeah, I made a little boy bleed. I made a little boy cry. I made a little girl. I raped a little girl in bed on a hospital visit after she had just had surgery for her tonsils. Like, good. And people's first reaction is to, like, defend the priesthood. Isn't that insane? The bishop's first reaction was to defend that. And, you know, that is horrific. That is horrific. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant. Yeah. No, I mean, I was just, it, it is. People in general do it, too. But the, what's worse is that the bishop said, there goes this beautiful child of mine. It doesn't matter. I have to defend the priest. This, like, I really, I've never truly understood. Probably, I mean, I've understood it. But like when, when he says, how come the Holy Spirit's visions did not compel them to, like, bang on their neighbor's doors and say, you can't, you can't own people? Yeah. This makes me wonder, like, why didn't the Holy Spirit tell the bishops to stop this? You know, like <laughs> it's called the natural law. I know, <laughs> you know, no, like I know, I know. No, like, no. I mean, you want God to be like, "Hey, guess what?" You know, but maybe this is the the ablation, right? Like, here are all these priests who have insulated themselves into the church, turning the church from what it should be into what it is not. Therefore, I will ruin all of them. I mean, you got to th- remind yourself: we worship a God who let the the enemies of Israel destroy his own sanctuary that he spent years culminating and cultivating the right person to yeah. build. You know, like the son of David, Solomon. You're the one who will build my house. And then 500 years later, it's like, screw this, desolation, remove the ark, all this stuff, and it's gone. You know, God withdrew. And that's the thing that I don't think people um, understand about... Uh, the book of Revelation is there's these seven letters to seven churches, and each church is represented before the throne of God as a candelabra, a lampstand. And he says, I will remove your lampstand. And every one of those churches, Dr. Hans said this when we were going through Revelation, he said, um, there's, you know, it starts with the, the least offensive to Christ, and it goes to the most offensive. And uh, Dr. Hans said, and these were all calls to repentance. Not a single church celebrates mass in any of those cities today. Christ removed their lampstand. And you're like, whoa. And he said, there is no guarantee the church in America will survive. Christ never guaranteed the church in Houston or Cincinnati or anywhere else, a particular church, a local church, a parish will survive. He, if you read Soul of the Apostle closely enough, he is going to remove a lot of people's lampstands. Oh, boy. Yeah. And we believe in a God who is all-powerful and all-just and think that we can do these things in his name. Strip a boy naked, make him assume the position of a crucifix, while four priests take Polaroid pictures, trade them together, and giggle incessantly, putting him in a stack with other boys, teenage boys that they photograph naked. We think we'll endure. There is no enduring. I think you're right. I think I take away my comment earlier that, like, the church is going to endure. No, it won't. In some, like, not in, in, not in any way, shape, or form that we understand it to be. It might – it will be on the world. It, it's somewhere in the world it will be there. But there's – I think you're right. There's no guarantee that it will be here. How drunk on their own importance – on their own importance were they? 
how drunk were they on the importance that we also give them? Yeah. That, that's the thing is like, I don't give them pushback because I'm scared of them because I reverence them too much in all the wrong ways. Yeah. I don't even want, like, I don't even want to like, I don't want even, I don't want to like reverence their office anymore either, which yeah. might be the problem. Yeah. But I don't want to like, I know some people want to go back to like parading the Pope around a thing that's like carried around by people. I don't want to do that. Right. I don't I I am so um just disgusted. I I could you I mean I don't know man. Sorry. This is just, I I know we're just kind of beating a dead horse here but my gosh. This is so bad. I I mean I I just I don't know how I'm going to go into work tomorrow. I will obviously but I just you know, maybe you need to become a missionary at work and invite people to prayer. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, say, I, I hey, right. I'm. Uh, I'll be. Do you guys do like noon mass or whatever? No. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, there's one across the street. Yeah. <laughs> just so be like, hey, y'all. I'm gonna go to mass at noon and just pray and deal with my issues over all this scandal. Would anyone want to come? And then we'll get lunch afterwards or something like that. That's not a bad idea, my friend. <laughs> 